have to laugh because I thought we had one more song. So. And then to top it all off, Buck praised this extensive five-minute long prayer of transition, giving me ample time to get up here. So, <laughs> Sorry, I just found that a little humorous this morning. So I will pray to get us started. Father, we worship you, we praise you, we love you so much. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you, God, that you are not just a God that sits in heaven and waits for judgment. You literally invest yourself into your children, into those who would believe in your Son, into those whom have believed in your Son that would give their heart to you, that would say yes, that would offer faith to you, believing your words, not just learning your, learning your words, but believing your words. And then investing in those that would stay steadfast in what they know to be truth. What you have revealed of yourself as evidence of that truth. God, you are an amazing, amazing Father. Your Holy Spirit is already here. But I not only invite you, but ask that you speak through me according to your will. Father, I say in testimony's sake, you have not given me anything but thoughts between you and I this morning. I trust you. I trust you to speak what you want to speak. I ask, Father, that my voice not be my own, but I give it freely to you to do what you want. We worship you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord wants me to read something that I just read. I don't know, maybe an hour ago. Did I just cut out? Hello? The board? The board shut off? Okay. Okay. Well, that actually goes along with what I'm about to read. So, so are we online and everything? So we're all good. We're alive once again. Okay. That is interesting, though. That is the practical application of what I'm about to read to you, which I find to be very interesting. You notice Shannon is, is not up here this morning because Shannon has been in a tremendous amount of pain. 
Not because of something she did. Not because of some work that she did in the yard, although it would have been real helpful if I could have used her yesterday. But it wasn't because of that. Right? She woke up and couldn't move this morning because of the pain in her back. And she doesn't have back problems. But she told me of a dream. She sent me a dream that I want to read to you that she had last night, or perhaps it was early this morning, I I don't know. But she just had it. And I want to read this to you. First, she said, this morning I woke up in even more pain than last night. I'm not able to get up and be there for service. Which, which, by the way, just stand in agreement with me. We prayed over before service downstairs. I do believe it will be immediately gone. Because I don't believe this is physical. I do believe it's the enemy. Good. To come up? I t- Praise God. I told her this morning, after we prayed over, I said, as soon as you feel better, come up. She said, last night, I also had a dream that I was in ladies' class with Alexis, and in the middle of us gathering, the light went out. I got up and turned the light back on, and it was turned out again. And I could feel a dark presence in the room trying to shut out our light. I knew I needed to bind in Jesus' name, but when I tried, I found my mouth stuck. And each of us in the room found we couldn't speak. I woke up from sleep feeling the same muting upon my mouth. And I saw a dark figure in front of me. I then screamed out Jesus when I did. It disappeared. This dream is not simply a dream. This is what the enemy is trying to do. He is trying to silence those that are in relationship with Jesus Christ. He is trying to silence them so they have no effect. See, because he knows the light that is in them. He knows the light that is in us. He wants to silence that light because he is also aware of the darkness that is coming. Even the darkness that is here. Because the Bible says, the greater the darkness, the more the light shines. Oh, if there is one thing that irritates Satan more than anything else, it is to see victory in one who follows Christ. And even worse, for the world to see them as victorious. Wow. You know, this past week, for those of you who follow on God Squad at all, you'll know that I had an incident that I was involved with this week that in many ways was life-altering. Certainly thought process-altering. I was driving down Route 7, coming back from a meeting that I had in Pennsylvania. I can't remember when this was. Was it? Friday. Friday, thank you. 
It was on Friday. Coming back, I originally was going to make it all the, all the way to Middletown and then get gas there because I'm familiar with the stations and whatever. But, but I thought, no, you know what? I want something to drink, so I'll stop at Wawa here and, and get something to drink. I did. And where I stopped at Wawa, I want to say maybe three miles down the road from there, this accident happens right in front of me. I didn't actually see the accident, but I saw the cars coming to a stop. You know, after they're teetering, one was on its, on its top. It, it was fully flipped over. The other one that was once a full car was now half a car. And it was all coming to a stop when I was pulling up. And I, I pulled over because there was nobody in front of me, along with two other guys that pulled over as well. And on my side of the road was where this little car was. And, and immediately it, it connected with me, this car, because I used to have one. It was an MGB Roadster, a very, very small car. Um, if you, if you, you know me, I'm six foot five. I'm not a small guy. And I had one of these. Believe it or not, it was one of the roomiest cars I've ever had. The difference is I literally laid down in it. You're kind of like this. But it was an incredibly fun car, an awesome car. Probably not the safest car in the world. And that's what I was noticing as I'm walking up to this car because the front half of it was normal. The back half of it was gone. It was so smashed in. And when we got there, the, the other two guys... They were trying to pull the door open, couldn't do it. One of the guys moved around. I grabbed the other guy, and I said, let's try it again, and we got the door open. And we got into this guy, and, and then we peeled back the top. And my heart just immediately melted because there, there was a gentleman in front of me who was literally moments from his death. See, if you know anything about an MG, it is a convertible. But back then, they didn't think of safety as much as they do now when they build cars. And in this convertible top, it's a steel frame top with these little digits, I'll, I'll call them, these little levers that come out that are there that, I don't even know what they're for, honestly. I guess it's part of the folding mechanism or whatever it is. But, but literally what it is is this little one-inch piece of metal that sticks out from the metal, the, the metal uh, top. And, you know, it's, it's normally about two feet behind the person. So it's normally not an issue. What I think happened, obviously I wasn't there investigating it, but what made sense to me as I saw this immediately is this car, this truck, it was a pickup truck, had hit so hard into the back of this MG that it, the MG must have been stopped. And it was on the other side of the road. So it forced the MG clear on my side of the road. It launched the truck in the air and it came down on top of it, on, on top of its head, right? So it was 180 degrees on top. 
Well, when it did that, it pushed this metal piece into the back of the head of this gentleman. And there was a hole at the base of his skull in the back. And when we got there and got the door open, all I could see was he was slumped over, but he he had a seatbelt on. He wasn't slumped enough to where we could kind of see everything, but he was slumped over and his breath was almost out of his body. I ran around to the other side while the, the one guy, the one guy had left. I don't know what happened. Maybe went over to the other truck, but, but, I had this guy hold, we found a, a hoodie on the floor, and he grabbed this hoodie, held it to the back of the head, but he couldn't, the way he was positioned, he couldn't see where the blood was coming from. So I went around to the other side so I could see, and when I did, I, I had a good perspective of where it was. I told him where to put his hand and then to compress. But when I saw it, it was hard. I thought, there's no way this guy lives. There's no way. Blood was pouring out of the back of his head like you had a hose turned on. Not full blast, but it was pouring out. It was just pouring out. And so all we could do is hold compression on there. We, none of us were medical people or anything else. Not that that would have, you know, getting him to a hospital is what he needed. But I just knew what I could do was pray. And I went around back over to where he was and I laid hands on him. And immediately, and this is why I'm telling the story, immediately I felt this oppression on me to be silent. Just pray silently. Just pray quietly because God hears you. Don't worry about the people Standing around looking. Don't worry about the guy who's over you who's literally holding life in his head. Just pray silently. They don't need to hear any of that. That was immediately what flooded me. And I thought, no, you will not silence me. Because it is in this realm that this happened. It is in this realm that this accident occurred and this theft took place in this realm. So I will declare in this realm what is to happen. I will declare in this realm the will of God and what he wants. So I did. I just began to pray. Life. That's all I could say. Lord, give him life. Breathe life into him. And as, as I'm praying, his breath is just going down and going down and going down to where he would breathe maybe once every 20, 25 seconds. He, he'd kind of be like, and that's it. I have no idea what kind of internal injuries he had, but I do know he was still breathing. And so I just kept praying. Kept praying, knowing that somebody had called 911. Certainly somebody had... I mean, literally, Route 7 is now closed both ways. People could not get through. Cops didn't even need to stop that. There was no way they could get through. It was a mess. And for maybe 10 minutes, we were there. Before the 
maybe even 15 minutes. It was probably closer to 10 minutes that we were there helping this man, praying over this man before the, they got there. How he was still alive, I don't know. I do know when he was finally put on that gurney and put into the ambulance, I know he was still breathing because I was right there. I was seeing him breathe. I was so encouraged to be able to later on that day and the next day see that he was still alive. In critical condition, certainly, but still alive. And to this day, to my knowledge, he is still alive. I don't know. If somebody has any connections with he was taken to Christiana Hospital Emergency, I would love to know who he is. Because I believe there's something special for him. I just kept praying, Lord, I don't know this man. I don't know what his life is about. But And I don't even know if he denied you. Or if he's your child. I have no idea. But give him another chance. Give him life. And for ten minutes he kept him alive. For ten minutes till they got there when they could, they could get the IV in him, start giving him, you know, some sort of fluids. And Lord does not want your voice to be silenced. Amen. Do you understand that? It's not what you pray. Let me say it this way. It's not just what you pray between you and the Lord in silence. That's important. Building that relationship is important. But if you are a warrior for Him, you cannot be a warrior without a voice that speaks out. Speaks out truth. And yet, the very thing Satan wants is for you to be silent. And you know what? It makes sense to be silent because with that boldness comes pain comes a lot of pain, comes persecution, comes suffering, comes being mocked and laughed at, being jeered, being literally hated. We all know this because most of us have experienced it. Even coming from very important places in our lives. But see, the Lord wants us to speak. You know what, Brooke, when Brooke was up here, she quoted Romans chapter 8. Turn, turn there real quick. Turn to Romans chapter 8. I want to point something out. Because this is one of the most phenomenal chapters in the Word of God that show you who you are in Christ. This is not just because of your choice to believe Jesus Christ is the Savior and to receive Him into your heart. That's not what this chapter is about fully. It is about the relationship that you build with Him. Otherwise, let me explain what I'm talking about. Down in verse 12, starting there, let's just read from there. 
So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For you live according to the flesh, you'll die. By the way, let me explain something here. I really want to encourage you. Go back and go over this chapter. It's really extraordinary. But it is so mis it is not understood properly by so many Christians. They equate our justification of sin along with everything this says that talks about relationship with Jesus Christ. And they're two different things. They're two completely different things. I've said this here a million times, but when you accept Jesus Christ into your heart as Savior, what has happened right then is it is a promise and a ticket for you to have eternal life. And you are sealed by the power of the Holy Spirit, it says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, to never lose it. It's no longer even in your control. You can't give it away if you wanted to. And by the way, I've met Christians that want to. I've met Christians that have tried. They can't. I mean, your life might feel like you have because of what you go through as a consequence of that decision, but you cannot give it away. Why? Because it was never earned by you. It was never earned by you. Your salvation was given 100% by Jesus Christ. He did the work. He's the only one that could take it away. And because of His righteousness, He will not. It's solely by His grace that you have eternal life waiting for you. But don't equate relationship with that. That's not a relationship. Accepting Jesus Christ in your heart is not a relationship. It's a contract. It's a contract that you accept and Jesus fulfills. Relationship is something that is built from that point. You have the right to build it at that point. Because you are seen as pure by the Father. Do you understand the transaction? When you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, when you believe on Him as the Messiah, something happens. He takes this filter of blood that He shed on the cross, almost like a blanket, and He just throws it over you. So that way the Father who cannot look on sin can now see you and look at you as pure because He sees you through the filter of Jesus' blood that you accepted. You accepted that contract. It's not a complicated thing. Salvation, justification of sin is not a complicated thing. It's something, it's something very emotional. It is something very deep in our hearts. But it's not complicated. It's simple belief and acceptance. You don't have to work for it. But you know what? The relationship that you build from there on, that is complicated. That is tough. Why? Because we complicate it. 
We're the ones who complicate it, not Jesus. Jesus, he, he made the pathway. He even sent those ahead of us to literally plow this pathway that we can follow. We see it in the Word of God. The Word of God gives us a pathway to follow. But we're the ones that complicate it. But let's keep reading. And, and what Paul's talking about, or I believe Paul's the one who wrote this, but whoever, the writer, what he is talking about here is, is living by the Spirit versus living by the flesh. So uh, let, let's just, verse 13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's not talking about eternal death. Please understand that. If you don't get that, you're not going to get this chapter. If you equate that with the justification of sin, you're going to go into a tailspin of earning your salvation. And that's not what this is. It is earning and building relationship, however. And that's the lens you want to look at. It It says... But if by the Spirit, you, if by the Spirit that is in you, that already dwells in you, when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, immediately what happened? I said it in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. The Holy Spirit came and sealed your spirit. He dwells with you. Okay? He doesn't take over. He doesn't push you out of the way and say, okay, this body's mine now. I mean, man, it'd be so much easier if he did. But that wouldn't build relationship. That would just build drones, build puppets. That's not what he does. If the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is talking about life here on this earth. This is talking about life in that relationship with Him. If you do this, He will build relationship with you. He will build a friendship with you. He will build a love between the two of you that becomes a unifying factor in your walk of life. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness of our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Don't stop there when you're reading. Many do. Many don't understand the next part. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See, there is a condition on your relationship. There is a condition of what he says here about being fellow heirs. Wait a second. If I'm saved, I'm a fellow heir. I'm appropriately gifted in line of everything that I should receive. Wrong. Wrong. 
If you believe that, you're highly misguided. We deserve what he has promised us that he gave freely of him, which is eternal life. Our promise of the Holy Spirit working through us, of building this relationship with the Lord, of letting him use us, requires our yes. It requires our participation It requires us to be involved, not to run away from, but to run toward the things that God wants us to be a part of. We are heirs when we choose to say yes to him. The misunderstanding comes when you equate that with salvation, with our justification of sin, that we're heirs of eternal life. No, 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 no. Good night, Jesus. We are fellow heirs with him. He always had eternal life. He was never going to lose that. He is the king of kings. He is the son of God. It's saying here that you are fellow heirs with him, provided that you suffer with him, provided that you choose him, that you build relationship with him. What does it mean to be an heir of Christ? Or a co-heir with Christ. Does it just mean to go to heaven? See, that's what so many would equate this with. And it's not. It's all the things that Jesus has promised to include you in. If you build a relationship with him. Read the seven letters to the seven churches. In Revelation 2 and 3. It will expand upon this in many ways. Because, see, it does depend on what we do to be fellow heirs with Christ, not heirs of eternal life. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, that is yours. Nobody can take it from you because nobody but Jesus gave it to you. He paid for it all. But if that was the end of everything, then what's the point of him keeping us here? It's because fellow heirs is something that we do take part in. Not that we have pride in taking part in. That kind of defeats the purpose. But it's literally being less of us and more of him, as Paul said, in our own lives. See, nobody can choose for me what I do with my life. They might try to externally force me to do something, but they cannot make me choose to do something. That's my choice. And God wants my choice to be Him and nobody else. In relationship, I have to choose that every day. And in that, I do become a co-heir. With Jesus Christ, because Jesus literally chooses to share his inheritance. What is his inheritance? His kingdom. It's his kingdom. In fact, the way he set it up is really amazing. That he uses us in the flesh of this world 
to literally manifest his kingdom here on earth. Wow. That's so amazing, so mind-blowing to think about. That is what it means to be a co-heir of Christ. If you don't believe me, go read the prodigal son. And read the reaction of the son that stayed there. <laughs> right? If you remember the story, there, there was the two heirs of a king. Or two heirs of, of the landowner there. And the one... You know, he, his father was very wealthy, and the one just, he was tired of waiting. He said, Father, give me my, my stuff now. I want to control it now. I want to go and do what I want to do. And the father, being as wise as he, as he was, and loving as he was, said, okay. I'm not going to control your life. I want your choices to be yours. And so he gave it to him. Meanwhile, the other son was there, faithful, doing the work all along. And you know the story. This young man went out and sowed his wild oats. Wasted all that money. Wasted that inheritance. Wasted everything he was given. And because of the calamity of the times, found himself worse off than his father's servants. And finally, when he was in the mire of the pig pen, he came to the thought that, wow, if I'm going to be doing this work anyways, I, I'd rather be at my father's house. I'd rather be there. You know, it, it did take a lot of humility for him to come back. I, I, won't, I won't take that from him. But his motivation was himself. It really was. His motivation was his comfort. His motivation wasn't even at least what we see in the story. We don't see all the shadings of the story, but at least in the story, his motivation was, wasn't, I miss my dad so much. No, he missed the comfort. And what was awesome is he came back and his father greeted him with joy gave him a, a royal robe, you know, killed the fatted calf, had a celebration that his son was home. It was awesome. Now, don't be confused to think that he stepped right back into the same position, potential position he had left from, because he didn't. The father was joyous that he was back. But then the sad reaction of the other brother came to light. But it shows a, a deep truth where the other brother said, why does he get the fatted calf? Why does he get this celebration? Why does he get the fine robe? He get all these things. And the father said something very profound. He said, I'm just happy he's back. And he, gives these, he, he gave these things because of his heart and love for him. He said, but you never left me. You were faithful. All I have is yours. All I have is yours. See, that's a picture of us right now. That's a picture of those who build relationship 
with Jesus Christ versus those who accept him as Savior and then just live about their lives how they choose to. Even if they start out right and then fade and come back, just like the story. The truth is that the co-heir with Jesus Christ, the, the, the literal heir of his kingdom, the rewards that it talks about in, in all throughout the Bible, those are things that are built in relationship with Jesus Christ. They're built with every yes that you give. Every yes. And those are things that can be taken away. Those are things that we can give away. We can lose. We can't, can't lose our salvation, can't lose our ticket to heaven, but we can certainly lose our rewards. We can certainly lose our relationship with him. That's why it's something that is paid attention to every day. Every single day. So we can't be afraid of speaking what the Lord places on our hearts. This has been so bubbling in me the last couple of weeks. that, And, and when, I, when I read that, that Shannon had, had put of this dream, it just, it made so much sense to me. That there are external forces trying to silence what the Lord wants us to say. You've got to ask yourself why. If God's trying to silence you, or I mean if the enemy's trying to silence you, there's a reason for it. Why? Ask yourself that. Ask God that. Why? Because there's power in what he declares through you. That power, by the way, is not just this set amount of power that, okay, now when you declare, you get this power and blah, blah, blah. That's what a lot of the church thinks. Well, the power is in the declaration of my word. No. No, the power is the declaration of your word backed by your relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, just to ask, I believe it was the sons of Sceva that were trying to cast the demons out and got the snot beat out of them. Right? Well, they declared, you could declare up and up one side and down the other all day. The declaration is not what the power is. The power is in your relationship with Jesus Christ. The power is in your yes. Every piece of who you are that you give to him, he infuses with power. Why? Because he uses it. See, it's really nothing about you except your will being given your yes. It's about what he does in you. The power of that declaration. Shannon couldn't move this morning. When Alexa and I went down there to pray for her, she literally could not even move. She's laying in bed like this. And I don't know about you, if you've ever had back trouble, I know what that feels like. It's like, okay, I found a spot. 
as long as I don't breathe too deep, as long as I don't move at all, I'm good. But this is pretty much it until you have to do something. That's where she was at. Am I wrong? I mean, that, that's, she's sitting in the back now. That, that's what it looked like to me. When I prayed over her and I declared healing over her, declared this spirit to be gone, to be bound, to be cast to the abyss. Do you think that the power of that was in my words? No. The vehicle had to come from my words, right? But the power was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't me at all. The only portion that I played in it was the relationship that I have built with Jesus Christ, giving Him my yes every single day. And then even my yes in the declaration of that prayer. Because don't be confused. Don't think those prayers are easy. Don't think that the enemy doesn't hit me just like he does you with all kinds of doubt. I remember when I was up, when I first read this, I was on my way over here. And I, I just, the Lord kept saying, you need to go down and pray for her. You need to pray over her. If you pray over her, she'll be at service. And then the next voice creeps in, this voice of doubt. Yeah, but what if? What if she doesn't? What if she doesn't? Then you'll look like a fool. What if she doesn't? Then all of a sudden, you're not going to believe. See, I had a choice. We all face those doubts. We all face those things. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. It doesn't matter how deep in relationship you are. The enemy will always try to come against you. See, he did Jesus. When Jesus was telling his disciples about his death, and Peter said, no, 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 no. No, you got that wrong, Jesus. That is not how it's supposed to go. You will live. No one will take your life. Jesus looked at him and he said, get behind me, Satan. And that's what we quote all the time. I was reading this in Matthew the other day, and it's actually the next phrase that was so powerful to me. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself, in that next phrase, he said, get behind me, Satan. He said, you are a deadly snare to me. Wow, that impacted me. That impacted me because the Son of God was hit so hard. Why would we think we're not going to be hit? Oh my goodness. And the more we say yes to God, the more we move in His yes, of course we're going to be hit. I see it all the time. We in Ignition have seen it all the time. Where people will come, they get excited, they move, and then they're hit. And then they leave. We see it in the bride all the time. And finally, a time has come where a line is drawn in the sand. How many people do you know 
I could name dozens. How many people do you know that no longer go to church that are Christians? That feel completely fulfilled in the fact that they get their church online. And really, it's so much more awesome because, you know, I could be home, I can have my coffee, I got my surroundings, I got, got all this, I can really focus. And then when I, when I listen to it online, I, I, can, I can even back it up and I can listen to it again. That's all good. Man, I want to encourage you, make that the second time you listen to it. The first time, make it live. Make it to where you are there. You're there with other believers. You're uniting with other believers. Why? Because there's power in that. That's what relationship is. That's what Jesus builds in this relationship. Because you can imagine... If there is power in the single word of a person to move mountains, which the Bible says and gives so many examples of, imagine what it will be like when there's a unified group. That in that unity, Jesus is using the same way he would use one. I'm going to say something pretty bold here. Never has it happened before. Not even with the disciples. The disciples weren't unified. You, you see much of that later on. So when in history has a group been unified and unified with Jesus in relationship to where they spoke as one and the Holy Spirit spoke through them as a group, as one? You might see some effects of that, but I don't believe we've ever seen it. And the reason I don't believe that is because the effects of it would be what he's promised is coming. This global revival, his justice that cuts that line in the sand so deep, literally the spitting out of the lukewarm. Which, that's a tough thing to take. Because the lukewarm, they're your brothers, they're your sisters. But that's what's coming when this unified body of believers says yes, no matter what. Pays the price of persecution along with Jesus Christ. Now, by the way, that doesn't mean you seek out persecution. Let me hint you, give you a little hint. You don't need to. Persecution will find you, I promise you, when you say yes. I promise you. How many times have we seen people come here to ignition, and literally the week that they come, or within a week after, things start going crazy in their lives. It's really weird. You know, kind of, it's like, what in the world? Yeah. Yeah. It's because God is offering something very special to you. God is offering not only the vertical relationship, but the horizontal relationship, like what we talked about last week. Literally producing the power, and I'm talking about the Holy Spirit producing the power, not us. 
but literally the Holy Spirit producing the power that will bring significant change, that will bring literally the readying of the bride, literally the revival. Do you know for years, for years, prophets have prophesied about the billion soul harvest? I'm one of them. The Lord gave me a vision. He gave me a vision, and I won't go through the story, but it was of these snowflakes, and it was, it was with clear sky. And, it, and it, the snowflakes weren't a vision. <laughs> right? They were real. And these snowflakes are coming out of the sky like insane. And he talked about every snowflake represents a soul that will be won through ignition. At the time, I didn't even know what that meant. I had never heard these prophecies of global revival. I mean, that was years ago. That was at the beginning. I don't even think we're a church yet. I think that was at the very beginning when we were college ministry on these prayer walks. But what God is about to do is what he's promised for so many years. And he doesn't need a lot of voices Look at everything he's done in the word of God. He's done with a few. But he does need our unequivocal yes. He needs our absolute yes. The passion of us following him. The passion of our yes. It can't just be clinical. (laughs) Yes, Lord. I'll go about my business till you do it. Fall in love with him. Fall in love with him. Be passionate for him. Let him fill the void of passion in your life. Because he will. And he'll do it in a way that will replace all of the doubts that the enemy comes with to try and silence you. Speak out for him. Lex, come on up. Speak out for him. Because that is what will bring on what he has promised. Um, I thought about, I've often said it's so good to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. And on the way here this morning, I was... um, praying and declaring and just worshiping out loud. And I, the Lord reminded me that he taught me that when I would go back and forth um, to the gym, you know, training in, that, in my last season of, of that leg of, of my career there. And I'm so thankful for that because learning to lift my voice, the, it really is an amazing thing when you are muted by a demonic force that just doesn't, you know, your mouth is, your heart can cry out for God, but when you can't speak, it is, it is really, um, it's amazing. And sometimes we don't even notice it. We just kind of stay silent and think that that's, that's okay. And there are times that there is silence, of course, in worship with the Lord. But he just started teaching me to pray out loud and declare out loud. And, and it really is because of this choice, because I, I, I find that I'm in a constant place of choice all the time. With like one thing too that the Holy Spirit's been doing is as I wake up, 
I'm finding myself saying, I praise the name of Jesus. I praise the name of Jesus. Because sometimes you wake up tired. Sometimes you wake up in pain. You can wake up in various, sometimes you can wake up with just a, almost like a biting spirit of negativity. They call it waking up on the wrong side of the bed. But it's with this uh, negativity of, a, of a, some negative outlook. And to just first give praise, because I know that, um, yes, there is a war, whether we're conscious or not, through the night, which is why you pray over your dreams. There's something about awakening into a consciousness out of sleep where you can sense the, the war in the spirit around you beginning. And I just always like to declare, you know, yes, I am the Lord's. He is, he is my God. Like we sang earlier, no one but you, no one but you. And that really will help you to encourage yourself in the Lord, beginning to just pray against these voices. Because when we don't make these choices intentional choices. It's not just a, well, the Lord knows my heart, but an intentional choice to come back at the intentional voices of negativity. Um, it can really affect what's called your self-talk. Do you know that your own you science and different um, mental uh, psychological studies have shown that your own voice is one of the most powerful voices in your head, in your, in your ear? When you hear yourself talk, it has a greater impact because we listen to ourselves. And that's why it can be very dangerous when you walk around and you make things uh, come out of you in, in jest. Like, okay, well, you know how it's going to be today. Yep, I know it's going to be another day. Well, I'm just doing what I can to get by. These things that we kind of say just off the cuff and we think they're innocent, but they, they're, they are like mini declarations. And the Lord is wanting us to clean up our speech in, um, in alignment with his heart and begin to speak in a way that's in agreement and not just giving over kind of a, even in the slightest way, a negativity to the Lord. So when I do that, it really does help me to encourage uh, myself. And again, it isn't just about the words. It's really about, if it's in my heart, you know, out of the mouth. The heart proceedeth. We know that from scripture. And so if you find yourself jesting in a negative way all the time, or if you kind of have a, a downer, well, you know how the world is, or well, you know how it is. When you get to be my age, you know how it is. Those things, the, I didn't notice those things as much as I do now. And I'm like, ooh, I, no, no. I will not be in agreement with that. It doesn't matter whatever happened generations before me. I will be in agreement to who I am and who the Lord has called me to be who I am in him and the freedom that beautifully so Romans 8 that she quoted um, really speaks of. We are more than a conqueror. Nothing can separate us from his love. If he is for us, who can be against us? Doesn't mean people aren't against us. That verse means what impact can those who are against us have? That's what that verse means. And so, um, so I, I, I was reminded as well of the beautiful verse, Philippians 3.10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, but the latter part of that, and the fellowship of his sufferings, and to be made conformable unto his death. We will be sharing. Any yes brings a sharing in his sufferings. And um, I've been in the Gospels a lot, so I know that um, every little nuance of people's responses and reactions to Jesus I pay attention to, and it really started with just them thinking he was crazy and thinking that um, he was, because he didn't follow the, 
church, the synagogue's way of thinking, they immediately put a, a, a demon label on him that he must be listening to false spirits. And, you know, it is important to discern the spirits. It is important to make sure we're not deceived and to not just to be caught up in any false doctrine. That's very, very, very important. But even in Jesus' day, um, he was called so many things. And there was an assumption that because he didn't uh, follow the exact teachings of the scribes and Pharisees as if they were the highest authority, um, he was mocked. And so I love learning from his, um, from his example and even how he responded. And it was always with boldness. It was always uh, with a response filled with the Spirit of God because he was in sync with the Father's heart. So um, this was, a, this was a, a great reminder. Don't let your voice be silenced. Um, the Lord wants to use our voice. And right now, this is, this is the last thing I'll say. It's nothing in, nobody doesn't know. But if you, if you take a 30,000-foot view as to what's happening in this nation, um, God is moving in pockets, and, and his spirit is moving. There are, there are, there are groups and, that are forming and meeting, and revival is, is taking place. The Lord is giving people an option and a choice all the time. There's some amazing moves of God taking place in pockets. But what's happening in the structure of our system of, of life through our system of government, in all levels of authority, there are disruptions, there, there's the, injust, the justice system that we were founded on is all upside down. Things are crazier than ever. And we are, um, it's being set up to where you will be persecuted in every way possible that those in authority can can persecute, prosecute and persecute you. It is being set up that how, what you believe is what will be coming against. There is a redefinition of all of our laws in order to do that very thing. If you can't see that it's a good versus evil thing going on, then you, you really have missed it. it. It is so significant how things are being set up so that those who will choose the ways of God, even those who do not know God, but who, who stand up for even the ways of God, which just shows God is working on their hearts, um, they will be the ones that will be set apart in a, um, to be persecuted and to be stopped and to be silenced. And it's interesting. It's happening, of course, through social media and through all different forms of communication. There is a heavy, heavy spirit of control, and we know the rise of the false prophets pretty incredible. Um, how much it's it's rising. And part of what God is asking us to do is will we stand and come against that? You know, he has promised he'll pour out his spirit. But right now the spirit of God is within us. And so when you come against face-to-face with this darkness and with these intimidation voices and the spirits that would oppress, rising and boldly speaking truth and Really, the Holy Spirit's words into those situations is really what is going to make a difference. And so I just encourage you, however small it may be, don't wait until we finally are platformed and have some larger, bigger voice. Your voice is big, bigger than you may think in your own little world with what you deal with. And all it takes is one person standing up. We're seeing that all over the news. One person ushered out. I said this Tuesday night, anesthesiologist in California ushered out with security from his job, had been there 20 years, and he stood for not receiving the vaccine. And I found it so interesting. There was really no, he, he may have been a believer, but he, he, 
had a chance to share his story and mention nothing about God. I don't know that he wasn't a believer, but it was interesting to me because he said, if I have to lose my job, I will, I will stand. If I have to lose my paycheck, he said, if I have to lose my family, and then he said, if I, need, if I have to lose my very life, I will stand for this cause. And the thing that struck me so much was, where are the believers when it comes to taking that kind of stand for who we serve? See, there are people that are moved with this cause, and it's an important one, standing for your freedom, standing for what this nation was, was built on. But this is one nation under God, the God. And the voices of Christians being silent or somehow finding some manipulation of Scripture to say, and it's happening, to say that Jesus would do all these things. Jesus would take the vaccine, so we need to do it. Finding a way to kind of get around it so that there won't be the oppression coming against them. Um, it, it just goes back to a choice. And it convicted me a lot that, wow, you know, Am I as bold as I could possibly be in the smallest circles? Because here's one guy just standing for that, and the spotlight was on him for that stand. And, and I thought, wow, he'll stand for that cause, but will a believer stand for the fact that, no, I will not, I will not shrink back in my faith with who I serve, no matter who wants to tell me that I'm being prejudiced against you know, somebody's gender, lifestyle, race, or whatever, because they will twist your words. And uh, so we just need to, to, again, know who we are and stand in it. But let's pray. Father, thank you, God, so much for your word. Thank you, God, for the reminder to, to walk in boldness. God, you, Holy Spirit, have given us that boldness, God, through what Jesus paid for. And I just praise you, God. I praise you that we can come boldly before your throne of grace to find mercy and grace to obtain our, the help and, and whatever that we need in, in times of need. And that is now, God. There are so many times of need and you've given us access to you because of what Jesus paid for. And I thank you, God. And I pray that we would know you more and just have the relationship that builds the faith to share in the sufferings that Jesus did. And, and I just pray that you drive this word home, drive it deeply home into our hearts. We just love you and we praise you and keep us just lifting our voices in worship to you, God, because there will be things we may not understand that we will be facing, God, but Oh, God, worshiping you as King of kings and Lord of lords in our life, God, will allow us to be the conduit through which you can move. And it will surprise even us. And I thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for who you are and your love for us. And I pray all of these things today in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.